It's been the tour of Pacers podcast recently. Tyrese Halliburton went on Podcast P with Paul George to talk about a lot of things, including the Pacers. Bruce Brown on Run Your Race with Theo Pinson. Miles Turner went on Gil's Arena with Gilbert Arena. Shout out to Gil. We'll get to all those. Plus, looking at the O'Shea Brissett era and him speaking and saying why he joined the Celtics. It's all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers. Your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, a lot to talk about because the Pacers players have been kind enough to do kind of a ton of random podcast appearances recently, and we got a lot of insight on all of them. Tyrese Halliburton went on Paul George's podcast, P Podcast. They talked for over two hours. It was really great. I highly encourage all of you to listen to that. Listen to it after this. Um, they have a lot of stuff they talked about that wasn't Pacers related that was still fantastic. Bruce Brown went on Theo Pinson's Run Your Race podcast, which was also fantastic. Theo's really good at this media thing. So is Paul George. And then Miles Turner went on Gil's Arena with Gilbert Arenas and Josiah Johnson and co. And also did a great job. And we got a lot of insight from all of them about the Pacers offseason, their own life, a lot of stuff that I want to talk about that I found interesting that has some impact on the Pacers season, their journey, reactions to the offseason, all sorts of stuff. And then in the third segment, I want to wrap up one more free agency thing I haven't gotten to yet, uh, and that's O'Shea Brissett leaving. Talked about it like when it happened and what it meant for the roster, but uh, he discussed why he chose the Celtics. And so looking back at his Pacers tenure, what he'll mean for Boston to close out that part of free agency for the Pacers. Let's start with Tyrese Halberton and Paul George on podcast. I gave credit to Theo Pinson. Paul George started his podcast in like early March. He is really good at media. It's not fair that he's way better than me at both, man. Come on, let me have one. He's really good at media and interviewing. Um, and they st- like he started off talking with Tyrese about his leap day birthday, and it was super funny. Like that that was really impressive interviewing skills from Paul George. And they started off talking about Hal Burton's contract that he signed this summer. And Hal Burton kind of admitted that it's been something he's thought about and, and could be coming for about six months, right? A little bit of admittance from him that he knew it could be coming in his great season. Played a factor there also as a cap guy. I have to selfishly thank Tyrese Halberton for saying that fans and everybody need not to consider the raw number of contracts, but to consider them via percentage of the cap. That is, of course, what I think should be the case. It's also a little harder to do that for everybody because they need to keep up with the salary cap and every player's deal, but uh, that is absolutely correct. And he talked about the health of the league being a big part of him being able to sign said contract. So very self-aware and smart. Tyrese Halberton, but the parts that he kind of talked about that were a little newer or at least refreshers compared to stuff he said earlier this offseason, especially as it relates to the Pacers, is one of the things he said about his new contract is he says it adds no pressure to him uh, as he goes forward. And I think that's really interesting, right? Like you, you, the expectations change when you're on a rookie scale deal versus when you're a $260 million player. And I asked him about that, right? How does that affect you at all? How do you think about that? He's like, no, I don't think about it. And it does not affect me because he is not motivated by everyone else's expectations of him. He's not motivated by what what money could mean. It's he wants to win and he wants to prove that he is worth that and that he can be the leader of a team. Uh, and 260 million certainly suggests that the Pacers believe he can be that guy. And he said, there's no pressure added to this. He told me the same thing after his uh, presser. And he said that he just wants to win. He just wants to win. Winning will prove that he's worth it. And then it's the right choice. 
Um, and he told Paul George that as well. He also said something new that'll be coming because of this deal is uh, guys coming for him every night, right? Like even minimum players, everybody's trying to win. But when you make $260 million, other guys around the league are going to know that and come at you every single night. And that'll be a fun thing to kind of chronicle as the season progresses. This guy's kind of challenging Tyrese a little more, right? If he's a max guy, he's got to play like it. And guys are going to know that and, and make it a thing, which I thought was fun. Uh, Paul George also discussing his max contract with the Pacers, which was not that long ago, and it was only $90 million. <laughs> it's crazy how fast the cap changes because they both got the same percentage of the salary cap when it happened. And, of course, PG is doing very well both as a player and in the media. Um, they got to talking about the Pacers in a way that I didn't expect, which was really cool, right? Because they both have obviously had and have great careers with the franchise, but they both talked about the training staff and the culture that kind of comes from that. First of all, they both really praised the training staff for being fantastic at all sorts of um, rehabilitation and muscle things. And they talked about how often they lift with other teams versus the Pacers. Apparently the Pacers lift weights way more than other teams, but they both had high praise for what the culture staff, the culture staff, the training staff does. And the culture of the team is something they both talked about uh, praising and saying it, it was much better than some other places they've been. And they, they even discussed a story I haven't heard much about, which is getting fined for being like very minimally late to treatment, which I thought was pretty funny. Like they just get a slip at their locker. That's like, Hey, you got fined. You were late. Um, that's a big deal, right? You got a lot of stuff you got to do. And it's an operation that impacts every single person. If you're late, I, I think it's, it's a good thing for everybody to be on top of that and making it important. And, Pacers have always kind of been an on-time-is-important kind of franchise. I think if you all recall, Tyreek Evans got a fine. I think it was Scott Agnes who reported uh, for being late to a team event a few years ago. Not a fine. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was a, a preseason quarter suspension or something. But either way, the franchise has always kind of stressed the importance of being on time. It might have been Jay Michael. I can't remember who reported it. Either way, you get what I'm saying. Something important to the franchise, and it was cool to hear those guys uh, discuss it in that way. They also discussed, this was really fun, Paul George brought this question up to Tyrese Halbert. He said, what are your weaknesses? What do you feel like you're not very good at? For PG, it was cutting. He said he's not a very good cutter. He doesn't really get the timing. He can't really wiggle free in those situations. Uh, and he also talked about a few other things, like the way he gathers to dunk and stuff like that. And then he asked Halbert, hey, what do you feel like you know, your weaknesses aren't his game? And I, I was curious about that. That was a good question. Uh, one thing Halbert said is his jab step. He said his jab step sucks like he jabs and defenders just don't move. They're still there. And he's like, hey. And the way he said it was really funny, actually. that the, This whole conversation is worth listening to, but Halbert has a lot of little moments that just were cracking me up. Halbert also said, and I think this is going to be actually legitimately noteworthy for the Pacers for the next six years, like he thinks a weakness is he can't play slow. Like he's not very good at it. He wants to go fast. He wants to go, go, go. And it's slowing, slowing down can be kind of painful for him sometimes that is very noteworthy to me because something else he said early in the offseason at the draft lottery was he's watching the playoffs and how the slow paced half court style is necessary you have to be good at it to be a good offense in the playoffs so maybe Halliburton doesn't love playing slow but he's gonna have to be good at it for this Pacers team to be his best uh he also said that he hates turnovers obviously uh and he tracks them like crazy and he never wants to have a bunch of them and they talked about who doesn't doesn't take credit for turnovers when they happen live ball, like blaming their teammate and then later being like, my bad. It's all very funny. I encourage you to listen to it. And something Halbert said he wants to get better at next year in this conversation, pick and roll defense. I think that's a big thing for him, uh, especially next year, because he could be guarding bigger guys depending on who the rest of the Pacers starting lineup is. So it's going to be important for him to be good at that. Uh, and in general, improving defending one of the most common actions in basketball, as well as just improving on defense in general is going to be key for Tyrese Halbert. And they brought up the trade again from the Kings to the Pacers. Um, you know, and, and Tyrese talked about how it made him emotional and all sorts of stuff like that. But 
Uh, obviously, he's happy with the Pacers. And then they tra- transitioned to some other Pacers-y topics. One was Ben Matherin um, and their relationship, and and Halliburton just oozed and gushed good things to say about Halbert or about Matherin. But uh, the key thing he talked about was his confidence. Like it's not just this facade; it's not just stuff he says. Like he's that confident all the time in every setting. And he had a good uh, story about in the locker room something he had to, an exchange he had with Matherin early in his career about getting him the ball more often and how that came to be and how that exchange came to be and I think that was an illuminating exchange about Halburn I don't want to ruin it I want you to listen to it because it was good um, but I thought that was really cool he also talked about uh, his relationships with Larry Bird and Reggie Miller and even Rick Carlisle and Rick Carlisle really trusting him to be the ball handler and not having to call plays anymore which was a total change from Rick Carlisle of the past, something Rajon Rondo said, Tyrese told Tyrese Halberton, Hey, this guy calls a lot of plays. Not sure about this, but now it's been an absolutely perfect fit. This is all stuff that Halberton said to be clear, which I thought was so fascinating. Um, he talked about culture stuff about how Harrison Barnes helped him, uh, Corey Joseph, etc. He always likes to be one of the first guys on the first bus. Um, and some other two things here that were just notes. I wanted to say here, cause I thought they were interesting, even though, um, they aren't necessarily related to Talbert or the Pacers this coming season. One is Tyrese Halbert even said he has Woj and Shams notifications on, which I thought was funny because he's in the NBA. Um, I get it though. Like even non Pacers moves and stuff that he's not consulting on. He, he needs to know honestly for his job. It's just funny to hear it from a, from a, an NBA player. The other thing is Paul George brought up that freaking Anthony Davis thing again, which is just one of my least favorite things that has never made sense. From the past, if you're not aware, Paul George has said a few times that Anthony Davis wanted to come to Indiana. I don't remember the exact year. Um, just not a possibility that the Pacers could have realistically done. I roll my eyes every time I hear about it, even if I get why he's saying it the way he's saying it. Uh, just <laughs> I had to put it in my notes and get it in there. Two more to get to Bruce Brown and Theo Pinson's conversation, which is Theo Pinson's style of that show is really fascinating. And Miles Turner talking to Gilbert Arenas. They had some interesting things to say about Turner's career year as well. We'll get to those coming up here in the second segment. Before we get to that, though, I want to quickly talk to you guys about FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel. Get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll end $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run in a given game. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. Who doesn't love that? Plus, there's no better place to bet on the MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to Lockdown NBA because I hosted it with Hayes from Lockdown Bulls today. Lots of fun stuff about Team USA, the best free agents still out there, and the Thunder uh, extending the contract of their head coach and having a gazillion guaranteed contracts. Uh, they're going to be a fun team to monitor the rest of this offseason. Two more pods. The Pacers were kind to do these all in the same week, so I had lots to talk about and digest. Just new. I just like learning about these guys and what makes them tick and how it influences them as basketball players. I find that to be a very interesting part of following a team and the personalities on it. I think it makes me cover them better. I hope it makes me cover them better. And I don't know anything about Bruce Brown because he's only been on the Pacers for a couple weeks as a person, I should say. And so it was very fun to hear him with Theo Pinson on Run Your Race. And if you've never listened to the Run Your Race, uh, they do it on, on this network called Title League. 
and Theo Pinson's podcast, that one specifically, they really chronicle a player's journey from like when they started basketball to today, weaving through all sorts of various aspects, right? So if you listen to it, you'll get a lot of fun stuff about like Bruce Brown getting recruited for football when he was in high school before basketball uh, and all this stuff about his background and his family. And it was really illuminating to hear all this stuff about Bruce Brown coming up. And he thought he wanted to go to North Carolina. That was not possible because they gave his or a, their final scholarship or one of their final scholarships to someone else before he went to Miami. Like I never would have known that. And in that discussion about where he went to school and they were talking about North Carolina because Theo Pinson did go there um, is that they talked about, uh, Bruce Brown's recruitment and two of his top five schools. I did not know this. I'm sure many of you locally do because maybe you remember from the time were IU and Purdue. So apparently he almost played college basketball in this state as well. I'll be curious to ask him about that during the season if he remembers anything about those visits or those teams or why those both of those schools were in his top five at the time. Obviously went to Miami. That was great for him. Um, but this was kind of something that stood out to me uh, about Bruce Brown and how it will apply to me to the Pacers. He had 18 pre-draft workouts. That's a ton. That's one of the most I've ever heard for a player. I think the most I've heard is 20 and it wasn't 20 teams. It was like 18 teams and then two doubles. Um, but that's insane. Like that is crazy. If you want to get out there and he thought he's going to go top 35 in that draft. He didn't. He went 42nd in that draft. Right. So right out of the gate, he's kind of to prove himself in the NBA in a, com- in, a, in a situation he wasn't quite expecting to be in. But he made the most of that spot with Detroit, was a great starter, and then got traded to the Nets, another spot where he wasn't really sure what he was going to be or how it was going to look. And he had to play small ball five with the Kyrie KD Harden team. And so he got better at corner threes. He got better at his floater. He became a better passer, and he was great at that. That team almost won a championship if Kevin Durant's shoe is an inch shorter, right? He was awesome in that role. So he made the most out of a little situation there. He thought after that, successful season with the Nets, he would get better offers in free agency last summer, but he didn't. So he took the one plus one with Denver and guess what? He made the most out of that situation as well. He obviously won a championship and now has been paid for all of his career efforts. But I think that that stood out to me just because at every turn, even if it wasn't where he thought he would end up being, he embraced the spot he was at. He figured out how he can fit in. He improved as a player and made it a great situation for him. And so even if, obviously this time it's different because he got paid and he even talked about his reaction to his discussion with his agent when he realized he was being offered two for 45. Um, it was really like, I think that even at first, if it's like rickety, Bruce Brown will figure out how to make the Pacers the right situation for him and will improve certain skills to improve his situation with the teams that that was really illuminating. A lot of great tidbits in there about his past, how he feels like he'll fit with this team, all sorts of stuff. It's really good. Theo Pinson doing good at this whole media stuff. I highly recommend anyone encourage I highly encourage anyone, excuse me, to hop on over and listen or watch that one. I watched on YouTube so you can get fun little moments of them laughing together, which was great. The other one, I can't believe this. Three Pacers players did a podcast with someone else. Podcast P was a while ago. I should have talked about that earlier. Also, Tyrese Halberton on the cover of Slam. That's sick. Um, we'll maybe talk about that next week. We'll see. Uh, but the cover is cool. I, I, I'm considering it for a background for this podcast. I have a couple other editions of Slam around that I could put up. And I might be moving soon, so the background could be changing. That's all irrelevant to this podcast. What is relevant is Miles Turner, who is on the Pacers and will be their starting center this coming season. Hasn't done a ton of media this summer because why would he? Uh, he did talk to Sky Agnes in Vegas. If you want to read that, check out FieldhouseFiles.com. He also talked to Gilbert Arenas in Vegas on Gil's area. Really, really fun 
it's like NBA players are just good at interviewing other NBA players because they know what to say and have been in the league and understand lots of this stuff. They had some hilarious conversations about like players who have that dog in them and trash talk and all sorts of stuff that is really enjoyable that you never really talk about or hear about over the course of a long, grueling NBA season. The standouts to me, first of all, Miles Turner said he's getting a lot better at being himself, right? And I think that's really cool. He just went to Milan Fashion Week earlier this month. Um, He obviously has made his uh, affinity for Legos very public. Like He has definitely become more of himself and um, has become more comfortable in that way. And I think that's applying to him on the court, right? He doesn't need external validation anymore. He knows who he is, and he feels good about that. And he talked about that in the context of they were talking a lot about his defense um, and how he's not gotten no accolades for his defense his whole career, uh, despite being one of the better drop coverage bigs and rim protectors in the NBA. No all defense, no defensive player of the year, all that kind of stuff. And Miles said it used to bug him, but now it doesn't, right? He knows how good of a defender he is. He's all good with that. And then Arenas and all of them talked about how, you know, you can see when watching the Pacers that other teams get wide-eyed and excited when Turner comes out of the game because they can attack the basketball because he's not there. Even if it's not him deterring shots, it's him preventing shots entirely. And I still will never forget it. In the 2018-19 playoffs, Pacers got smoked that series. They got swept by the Celtics. They had no hope without Depot. They could barely create enough shots. Although they were in most of those games, they still got clobbered. But I'll never forget, after Game 3, Kyrie Irving talking about that specifically. Kyrie Irving, one of the best finishers of the NBA, was like, yeah, man, when Turner's down there, like, you think about it. When you get in the paint, you you spray it out more often. When he's out, it's easier. Like, I'll never forget that. And it was cool to see them talk about that. Um, they also talked about Miles Turner's career year, uh, which he said, quote, I got to play my position, <laughs> which, of course, we knew about him playing the full-time five really unlocked him. He also said, the five is something I played my entire career. And then when he was talking about the differences, this was interesting. Like, we've seen this, but it was uh, like in my head, he just did a lot of pick and pop. He had a smaller role. It was just different. He was evolving. He said at the four, a problem for him is he thought too much, right, about cutting and spacing. It wasn't as natural like playing the center spot is, which he's done his whole career. And that was an interesting way to describe kind of what I've talked about, where when Miles Turner's at his best, he looks confident. He makes decisions quickly, right? He either swings it or he shot fakes it or he puts it on the floor. Or he actually shoots it. Whatever he does, he does it right away. And that's when he looks at his best. And I've always kind of attributed that to confidence. But I think an added factor here and something I would like to discuss with him or talk more about is he just knows what he's doing at the five. It's natural. So he's not thinking. He's just doing it. And I think that is a factor in his change in effectiveness and change in perception about him over the last couple of years. It was fun to see him put that in his own words. He also talked about his new deal, said he's just been fortunate to the to stay with the Pacers his whole career. Gave a nice shout out to Herb Simon. Uh, he said that he loves playing with Halberton and his past first style. And then he said uh, something that was cool. He said the Wally Zerbiak stuff really turned him up during the season, which was funny because Halberton tried to play it off, but you could tell, I mean, especially when he made Zerbiak, his Twitter photo, that it was something that, that kind of bugged him. And it'll be fun in a few years to look back on that moment as potentially a turning point for really the Pacers franchise. Uh, and also in this episode, unrelated to the Pacers specifically, good stuff from Turner and the rest of the crew talking about Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Victor Wembanyama, who Turner worked out with last summer. If you remember that video that went viral for all of two seconds and then sort of vanished from the internet sphere. So lots of good stuff there. Uh, I highly recommend you listen to all of these shows, Podcast P, Run Your Race, and Gil's Area to, to hear all the insights and more about the players for the stuff I didn't even talk about uh, because these in total, these conversations that I just talked about for less than 20 minutes were like four and a half hours of good content to learn about 
some of the newer Pacers. So I highly encourage everybody to listen to those. Speaking of not new Pacers, an old Pacer, O'Shea Brissett, one of the free agency topics I have yet to get to. I only have one more after this. O'Shea Brissett is gone. I talked about it when it happened, just what it meant for the roster and free agency, but I haven't talked about O'Shea Brissett's era with the Pacers and why he chose the Celtics, which he revealed in Las Vegas. Let's talk about those things to close out today's show. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Jump on over to Locked On Thunder. I alluded to them earlier, but Mark Dagnall got a contract extension. Their head coach, he's a great head coach. And they also have 20 guys under contract. And it's not that they have a standard roster and then some Exhibit 10 guys. They have 20 legit good players under contract. I don't know how they're going to do cuts. It's going to be tough. And I am interested to see what OKC actually does. Let's close out this show by talking about O'Shea Brissett. And then after this, I will have like two free agency topics left until the Pacers actually do something. Today is Brissett, who left the Pacers for the Celtics. He noted in Vegas, he talked uh, with Boston media and even some other non-Boston media about his free agency. He said it was his first time as a free agent. He was psyched to get a call from Brad Stevens and Joe Mazzulla. Thought it was a great fit for him, and he thinks his energy will really help that team, but he just thought it was a good fit for him at his current stage to go to a contender uh, where he can you know, use his energy to be that energy guy. He might play there. They lost Grant Williams. like The Celtics' eighth-best players, like Sam Hauser, maybe? Like Brissett could certainly be in that rotation, and his energy will really help that crew. And he was excited to reunite with Brogdon. So his big reasonings for signing there, they were eager to get him. They, that was done like one day into free agency, basically. They had a hole for potential minutes for him. He got that player option. Just made a lot of sense for him. And the other flip side of that is obviously the Pacers side, where he said he grew in Indiana a ton and – uh, really enjoyed the, despite the ups and downs of the team, like them rising a lot. But they were figuring out what they wanted to do. He got an offer. He took it. Um, but it obviously the writing was on the wall, right? I talked about it after the draft when I did the winners and losers on the roster that he was a loser when they drafted Jarris Walker uh, because they had Jarris Walker and Jordan Wara, and Wara was better than him down the stretch of last year, despite my affinity for the things O'Shea Brissett can do. And then they traded for Obi Toppin, and like the writing was just on the wall at that point. They had three fours. They'd already clearly by their actions, not really prioritized Brissett in the past, which was really interesting, right? I talked about that kind of a lot, you know, what, like what made him unappealing to keep? I don't know. We'll kind of discuss his area in a second, but you know, once they like last summer, let's go back in time. Remember they had the team option. They could have declined the team option and made O'Shea Brissett a restricted free agent and then guaranteed they kept him for longer. They didn't do that. They did not do that through the years. They put him behind guys like, Tory Craig in the rotation two years ago for a little bit, and that Brissett became more valuable to start at times that year. They put him behind Jalen Smith at the four this year, including some other guys. Uh, Terry Taylor was ahead of him in the rotation at times. Like between the not keeping up the option a couple years ago, Kevin Pritchard calling him a, a, a July 10th guy, guys they put ahead of him in the rotation. Like it never felt like to me they really long-term valued him despite, I mean, he had a really good first year. That was a shorter sample, but long in the way I did, I thought he was better than uh, the actions of the Pacers suggested they did, but I get what, like every decision they made was justifiable and made sense. I'm not killing them for the decisions they made. I just would have probably prioritized Brissett a little more than they did. He's still only 25, right? Still a young player that Boston now has. It's really fun, interesting to look back on what he was kind of for this team, right? As the Pacers had other interests at that spot. Uh, but other like other people told me that they thought 
I was crazy for saying he should play more. Like everybody else thought that he was in the right role. And the thing is, his efficiency kept cratering. Like he wasn't getting worse. He still could understand basketball. His cutting was better. His defense was better. His rebounding was solid. Like he wasn't getting worse. But I understand that with the efficiency dropping and the team evolving, why I'm wrong to say that I think he should have played more. I just personally think he should have all these years. He was so he was such a good utility guy. He made so few mistakes outside. Obviously, like look, missing shots is a mistake, but he made few like live ball mistakes, stuff like that. I just always valued him more than a lot of other people. But on the stretch of last year, I think Wara rightfully took his spot. Wara was fantastic for the Pacers. He fit their style a little better. The scoring looked really good. They had specific plays they liked for him. And he's also very young. In fact, I believe, I'll double check this as I'm talking, I believe he's actually younger than O'Shea Bursett, uh, who's 25. Jordan Wara is currently 24. Yeah, he turns 25 in September. So it's only a few months but Wara is actually younger. So they got a younger guy who fit better, who was popping and looking good. It made sense to play Jordan Wara at the four. They started him down the stretch of last season for a good reason. But Brissett, I mean, that first year especially, right? 11 points, five and a half rebounds, 42% from deep. He was awesome. That was only 21 games, but he really popped. He was their best player in their play-in game win over the Hornets. He literally led them in scoring in that game. If you go back and actually remember that outing, I know a lot of people won't and I get why, but like he had good moments. And then the following year, his three point percentage dipped to 35 and his field goal percentage dipped a little bit and his free throw percentage dipped. And it was curious. It was strange, but he still played a lot. His defense was solid. His true shooting was good enough. And then the next year, the true shooting dipped even farther. The shots just didn't go in. It was so perplexing how that efficiency just kept dropping and dropping because he fit in the Pacers style his defense was still valuable. They gave him a thousand minutes in both of the last couple of years. He very, very rarely turned it over. Another thing that had kind of changed for him is his finishing at the rim kept getting worse and worse. First year with the Pacers at his best, 73.5% from zero to three feet. Two years ago, 58.2%. Last year, 56.2%. A weird thing that kept dropping. It was interesting talking to someone uh, about him the year that he joined the Pacers. And I was talking to this person a lot about him being really good in the G League. Like, I thought he had NBA potential. Because remember, he played for the Mad Ants in the bubble. The, the, the G League did the bubble, and the Mad Ants opted to play. And I thought he had NBA uh, talent. And when he was drawing all these threes in the pros, I was like, yo, like, see, this is kind of it. And he's like, well, these are the easiest threes ever. And that was true. Like, that sabonis Slavert group was generating the most wide-open threes for him. And I think his shot quality deteriorated as his uh, talent grew, and he got better. Um, but still the, the level of which his efficiency created, I think really hurt his effectiveness, even though he still got better. Even if you check just the advanced stats and a lot of other stuff from year to year, as his career progressed, like right, his rebound rate was steady around 12%, if not getting better, especially on the defensive glass, he was fine. His steal rate leveled off and went up. His block rate was a little bit decreasing, but about the same his turnover rate got better by right? all this stuff. That's like, yeah, okay. So clearly he's doing fine. At a lot of things. He, the ball's just not going in. And at some point that matters. And it did matter for the Pacers. I always thought he should play more, but I get why he didn't. So is there anything to learn here? Well, I would kind of say not really, but not for a good reason. Guys can be streaky. I think that's noteworthy. I also think selfishly for myself, I was a little over-reliant on that 21-game sample from his first season as opposed to the 67-game sample from his second season where clearly you know, things kind of dipped in terms of his efficiency and things like that. But I seen him play good in the G League too. I bought it. I bought his play. But look, he's at a talent like he's a fine depth player. He's a good player. Like I always thought he should play. But he's also at a talent level, right? Like your seventh, eighth man forward type. 
at best where it's like, yeah, maybe you want to invest in your young guys, but it's not like a killer loss if they're gone, especially if you have other young guys like Terry Taylor, like Jordan War, like Jalen Smith that you like. Tory Craig was older. That was different. But if you like other guys more, it's fine. It, there's nothing really to learn here. Uh, I think they didn't make do anything wrong. It's not, you know, it's not going to kill them in the future, but still wanted to review his era and uh, the notes from it and how it went for the Pacers, all sorts of stuff on why he's no longer with the Pacers. He's also an A-plus human being. I will root for him in Boston because of that, but a little better shooting, a little bit better efficiency, and smart oomph. Like, he's a good defender, but just like some power, man, power forward would have gone a long way for him, but I get it. I get why he's not with the Pacers anymore. Their their entire three-man power forward platoon now is, is better than him, and all of them are young, right? It makes a ton of sense why he's not on the team anymore. Uh, but his career, especially them kind of turning to other guys a lot while he was with the Pacers was really interesting. And now it's over. He's with a new team. The only free agency topic I have left to cover, because I got to James Johnson and George Hill uh, last weekend, is Kendall Brown and Gabe York. I want to talk a little bit about their outlook now. Pacers still have an open two-way slot, but those are the only two Pacers free agents still out there. Tyrese Halberton on the cover of Slam. I want to talk about that. So I have a couple little things for a the three-segment show to squeeze in at some point. And then also I want to talk about uh, moves the Pacers can still make. So this is kind of some of the shows you can expect uh, next week as we wrap up for agency coverage and to turn to offseason stuff about the rotation, where the Pacers stand in the East, all sorts of fun stuff coming here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I'm on Twitter. If you want to yell at me for saying dumb stuff, at Tony R. East, or just comment down below on YouTube. That also is super helpful. Thank you all a ton for listening. Have a great weekend. See you on Monday.